You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. The 602 Club proudly presents Snyder Cuts, a Zack Snyder directorial podcast, and I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as he is every single week, do you bleed, John Mills? You will, Matt Rushing. You will. <laughs> By the time this is over, there's going to be blood on the floor. We are here. That like It feels like it's all built to this moment of day versus night. Fan of Snyder versus agnostic movie buff. Uh, you know, what have you. Because this is... Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and say it. You can have your your prequel fights. You can have your preference for who plays Batman. I will go ahead and say this has to be the single most divisive film I have ever, ever had the displeasure of living through arguments with. Like it is. <laughs> when I think when I hear the words Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, I don't think Movie done by Zack Snyder. I don't think Ben Affleck played Batman. All I think of is, uh, because that summer was the summer of just knockdown, drag out nastiness, the likes of which I have not seen before, and I don't think I've seen since. So, yeah, here I we mean, are. It Time was, to discuss it. It was crazy. Uh, you know, absolutely, 100% agree. Uh, you know, I... I don't think I have argued with as many people about, you know, films uh, as this one, you know. I mean, even I, I the only film that might get close is The Last Jedi. Yes. OK, that might get close. But I, w- I will also say that I, the, the thought that occurs to me, because over on 602 Club, you and I uh, fairly recently with regards to this recording discussed the original Karate Kid. And I would say that the arguments, if I were to take a somebody who was a fan of this movie, they're Daniel, and everybody else was Cobra Kai in the skeleton costumes. And they're, you know, Daniel's getting wailed on, and eventually I felt like the guy that came up to Johnny and, like, put his hand on him and was like, hey, come on, what are you going to do? What are you going to try to kill him? Come on. And then I got shoved away. <laughs> I didn't leave Cobra Kai, but I was the guy that had something of a conscience where I was like, okay, you made your point. You made your point. Everybody just let's, let's let everybody be alone here. So I mean, yeah. as being the fan of this movie, uh, and you know, I, I think anybody who's listened to the 602 Club knows and, and anybody who's seen me on Letterboxd or just even on, uh, you know, social media, uh, you know, for me, this is, this is the I Ching of superhero films. Now, before we get into everything, John, because there's a lot to talk about in the preamble of this in the Is sense of like the the way this movie was released and yada, yada, yada. We're going to get into all of it. I promise you, folks, we're not going to cut any corners tonight. Um, this is this is going to be a great show for you. I'm super excited to get into it, as I was with the Man of Steel show, because, again, John and I are kind of coming from different places, which is, I think, what makes this so interesting is a, is a, a whole exercise that we've been going through with Snyder's film. So. 
Before we do all that, I do want to say thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciated the uh, just the massive support that Snyder Cuts has been getting from you guys and the conversations that spurred online with you. So we really appreciate that. Please um, don't hesitate to reach out to us on uh, Twitter at the 602 Club or on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. Uh, if you want to talk specifically about Snyder Cuts, please just use the hashtag Snyder Cuts. John and I would love to talk to you uh, about everything that we've been discussing here on the show. Uh, and of course, you know, you could support the entire network here over on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm. If you like what we do here, please make sure it keeps continuing and support us through Patreon. Uh, and of course, you can find the network at trek.fm on the web. You can find us uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And of course, we've got the listeners only discussion group you can find called the Babel Conference. And you can talk to listeners from all over the world. So, John, let's get into one before anything else. Let's just start off with our our first viewings of this film uh, and yes. how it went. Okay, uh, I I lived in a different state at the time, and uh, it was always for these big premieres. Uh, whether it was the new Marvel movie, whether it was this, you know, Batman v Superman, whether it was anything that was high profile. I was 45 minutes away from an Alamo draft house. I lived in Virginia at the time and it was worth it to me because Alamo strictly enforces no phones. They kick you out for talking totally my, my bag, right? Worth the extra money and time. I saw force awakens there. I saw a re-release of evil dead, all of this stuff. And I, I say this to set up. It was the optimal optimal type of viewing situation from the standpoint that I loved the theater. I knew the presentation was going to be the best or supposedly going to be the best that it could be. Um, There was an unfortunate hitch right from the get go. Uh, My dear friend who went with me, he was in charge of getting the tickets and we wound up only able to get the tickets to like the 10, 15 or 10, 30 show. It was, it was, it was either 10, 15, 10, 20 or 10, 30, something like that. doesn't matter. It was late. Because I knew this movie was two two and a half hours ish going in. Yeah, yeah. it's and definitely. You, I mean, just going in, it's definitely a longer film. So that that already puts you at a disadvantage. <laughs> and when you calculate that I was doing an hour and a half round trip and working the next morning, it was already sort of one of those things where it was like this thing better be Oscar worthy, right? Because with those other showings, I was always going to the seven p.m. and stuff like that, right? Well. We get there, we get in, and all I can tell you is I was not a fan. I'm, I'm going to try to couch this as as gently as I can because I, I don't want to be as much of a blowhard about it as I was at the time. I looked up my original Letterboxd review. Uh, I gave it one star. I said it was a cacophonous mess. I remember being angry at the end of the movie because I had wanted it to end. And I don't know whether the presentation was bad, whether they amped the speakers too much, but it was so loud during that final battle that I got visibly irritated. Like my friend could see my face sort of, I I was putting my hands over my ears at certain (laughs) points because it was so loud. I couldn't stand it. And I'm not a grumpy old man. I want, you know, Heavy metal fan here, 
right? Van Halen concerts, all of that stuff. I, it was too loud for me. Part of that was undoubtedly that I was tired and cranky. Um, and so, yeah. And then that led to, we did not see eye to eye about it. So I want to know, mm-hmm. you know, take me through your few, first viewing sure. because I know it was completely, sure. absolutely different than mine. Yeah. You know, um, I, you know, I remember going to see the movie and, and getting out of it and, and, and really having respond to it. And I'll be honest, you know, I, I think I was a little bit in shock because I didn't, I didn't expect them to end the movie the way they do in the sense that, you know, they just straight up kill Superman. And, and I just remember being visibly, uh, I'm sure if anybody was looking at me, just shocked on my face, probably, um, when, you know, he gets stabbed in the heart and <laughs> then he's just lying there like a rag doll. I mean, there's, there's no ceremony to it. I think that's, that's, there's something really beautiful about that. There's just no ceremony. So I was just, I, I just, I remember coming out of it and just being kind of overwhelmed. You know, it, it is, regardless of whether you like the movie or not, it is an overwhelming film. There is so much going on. And I think, I immediately liked it, but I also recognized that there were things that it felt like um, should ha- should still be there, uh, and 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 so I think obviously this is immediately you know the reaction to the film was what it was. People didn't like it. Uh, at least um, a segment of the population. I mean, it was, you know, it got like 28% on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. It was terrible. Yeah. Um, and, but immediately, the, the the narrative kind of became about the film that there was a ton of stuff that had been taken out because the studio had wanted it to be a certain length and that Zach was going to be releasing a ultimate edition of the movie which is the one that we're reviewing for this podcast because it is his director's Correct. cut now uh, as we're recording this if you're listening to it in the future we have not gotten to see uh the remastered version because it has not dropped yet uh it's actually coming out on uh hbo max just saw today on the 18th which is the same day that um the release of uh, justice league uh comes out so uh zach Snyder's justice league that is so um we're we're not we're not we haven't gotten to see basically in it all of its full Zack Snyder glory. You know, we we truly haven't even seen that yet because of the IMAX sequences being put back in uh, in their proper ratio. So, all that said, um, it was just uh, it, there was so much going on with me, and I knew that was coming out. I was really excited, um, and part of that, I, if I were to go back, I think and to listen to my review of the Six Hundred Two Club talking about this film. Um, a lot of the things that people had problems with were things that I didn't have problems with because the ultimate edition proved me to be right in what Zach was trying to do story-wise. So, so let, let me ask you about that. Okay. Like what, what specifically, um, are, what type of things are you specifically addressing there that, that you think that, because I, I, I don't want to make any presumptions. Give give me like one or two things sure. where th- that yeah, is the case. Um, so uh, all of the Lex stuff, you know, like people just not necessarily getting the fact that because uh, and and in all honesty, uh, a lot of this stuff, the the connecting tissue had been cut away. 
So it was the bare bones of the fact that Lex is behind everything in this film. He's behind everything that Batman mm-hmm. and Superman believe about one another from the start, which in the end is kind of genius. So that was one thing uh, that definitely I know a lot of people were not quite getting, but it was something that I was able to figure that that's exactly what Zach was going for, you know, is that, you know, behind the scenes, Lex is pulling the strings. Uh, and okay. so that was a big one. Um, and I think for a lot of people, you know, once they saw the ultimate edition, things ameliorated in some ways, just because the story itself makes more sense, you know, like it, 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 it makes mm-hmm. it, it connects much better when you have all the material that's left in there in that version, which it should have been in the first place. And honestly, I don't think the reception would have been so bad if people had had the three hour version and, you know, instead of the two and a half hour version, because that 30 minutes really does make a difference in the story of the film. Um, I also think, too, there were just some aspects of the film that came across better, too, which is I, I think the Clark story actually really um, is accentuated in that version as well, uh, which is to see him being the 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 detective, you know, uh, and on in his own right of trying to piece together as a journalist what's going on. You know, that's that's a very important part of Clark Kent as a character, not just as a Superman, but as as a good reporter and him doing the research and trying to figure out all of this stuff with, um, you know, what's going on in Gotham and all those type of things with the Batman and trying to figure all this out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, everything's with the guiding hand that he doesn't realize until the very end of, of Lex, you know, kind of putting that all together. So um, I think both of those things are things that I kind of heard people's complaints about before we got to, uh, you know, the ultimate edition which again really i think accentuates those stories much better uh i will say that i i I will support your point because there were very specifically things that annoyed the hell out of me you know me i have a passion for drilling down on the way scenes are put together and stuff like that yeah editing is a big deal for you yeah yeah the 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 africa attack I can tell you made, I mean, in the theatrical version, barely makes sense as to, like, I remember thinking when they're, you know, because it becomes the reason why they want to have hearings with Superman. I remember watching it and thinking, why the hell would anybody think he did anything? It didn't make any, he doesn't shoot people. Why does that, why would that make sense? No, Uh, with the Lex, with the Lex stuff, well, also with Clark doing investigation work. I think it also uh, does a very good thing script-wise in terms of building up the story of Batman simultaneously so that you understand. Because you have the scene now, and I'll go ahead and refer to the Ultimate Edition, where Clark talks to the old man in the hallway. Yes. Who says specifically, there's something different. He's – something else is going on right now. There's a new kind of mean in him. Right. Exactly. But that line is important. There's a new kind of mean in him. Like he's really gotten, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, you get a sense that Batman hasn't always been this way. Yeah. 
yeah. which I think is important to allay something that a lot of other people had a problem with, which was, you know, Batman kills so much in this movie. And I, w- I want to address that head on in two ways. One, even after that first viewing where I hated it, let's be honest, a one star rating is not a movie rating of something that you think is okay. I, I hated it. Um, but I still thought that that opening sequence where you see Bruce Wayne's perspective in Metropolis, I always thought it was tremendous. Uh, it, it's moving regardless of what you think of the rest of the film. You see a guy trying desperately, traumatized, and it very much accentuates the whole 9-11 aspect of the Battle of Metropolis, of how powerless everybody felt on that day, how so many people died that didn't need to, those sorts of things. But then also with the Batman thing, I'm sure I know where you're going to land on this, but I just want to offer up there that something that doesn't really make sense to me is this idea where people have said Batman doesn't kill. And I think that one of the things this movie suffers from is that it is so hard on the heels of Nolan's Batman trilogy. Sure. It's basically Snyder and Man of Steel took Superman and turned him into something that people said, that's not how Superman behaves. But there had at least been decades between, you know, uh, well, actually not since Superman Returns, but everybody forgets Superman Returns, let's be honest. (laughs) But, you know, Christopher Reeve hadn't been in in the role for a long time. There was no distance with Batman. Christopher Nolan's Batman was the Batman everybody knew. And this is such a radical departure. But I don't know. Why do you think everybody fixated on Batman and his killing and his brutality? Well, you know, again, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's it's recent bias, right? You know, we had just had the, the Dark Knight trilogy. And, of course, you know, He's so keyed in to the idea that he will not kill, um, even though in even in, uh, you know, Batman Begins, he's like, you know, I don't have to kill you, but I also don't have to save you either. You know, so, I mean, he basically lets the dude die. So, I, you know, he it's yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there have been videos done on YouTube of the amount of times that. Bruce Wayne as Batman kills somebody in Batman 89. It's like an extreme amount mm-hmm. of people that he murders in that film and or let's die, right? So, you know, oh, well let, let's not let's not gloss over in Batman Returns that he literally straps a bomb to a guy's chest and throws him down into a pit to yeah, explode or go. he uses the turbine on the Batmobile yep. to set a guy on fire. Yeah, so, there you go. Yeah, uh, Batman so, has killed before. Yeah. So, what I was always so surprised with for me was why this was such a problem. And mainly it was because, to me, it made so much sense that we already knew Zack was going to have an older Batman, a Batman that had been through the death of Robin. Uh, you know, we, we knew this in the lead up of the film. So a Batman who's been... You know, and as he even says in the film, 20 years in Gotham, we've seen what promises are worth, right? You know, and and we just have a bad history with freaks dressed up as clowns. He is hard. He has been hardened. He has been ruined. He has been 
destroyed. And in many ways, it is exactly what Harvey Dent says in The Dark Knight, which is you either Mm -hmm. die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And that is exactly what Bruce has become. And I want to something that I noticed, especially in this rewatch, is that in many ways, Bruce and Lex both have parent issues. Mm-hmm. Both of them hate Superman. And they are they they are coming at this in different ways as to how they're going to destroy Superman, but both of their goals is to destroy Superman, the one person who has had good parents, right? Like in a good upbringing. And we've seen the outworking of that in the way that he lives his life. And so um it is fascinating to me that people can't see the way in which thematically Zack is working with these characters and using them to mirror one another in these really interesting ways, especially the, you know, the Batman character and the Lex character in relation to the Superman character and how they view him. And so, um, again, I just never understood why people couldn't key into the fact that it's a different Batman. It's a Batman who's at the end of his rope, who who's basically lived too long, and he's become the very thing to which he's honestly been fighting for all these years, you know? Uh, and yeah. to me, that's a really... We'd already had no one's Batman, so let's do something new. Let's do something different. Let's do something interesting. And that's the beauty of, I think, the film, is it allows you to do that with a character like Batman, who's been betrayed by many different people, many different types of comics. And so let's play around with that. Something that I noticed, too, uh, on this rewatch that I I guess didn't really come through uh, on the, the theatrical is really how much of the story is driven by uh, by Bruce Wayne having recurring nightmares, right? Yep. He yep. has these recurring nightmares that drive the story forward and simultaneously give you a glimpse into his mental state. Now, there's a thing I want to address when I get to problems that I have still to the to this day. Um, but with I, I want to dig in a little bit to the Lex thing. Like the question I have for you about Lex is the he you're right. He and Bruce are coming from it as how can we trust this godlike being? It's an impossibility. Sure. What I find interesting is what do you think the different I I know what I think the different motivations are for them. Where do you think their motivations differ in terms of why they feel this specific way. We know Bruce has seen the trauma of the fight over Metropolis, but there seems to be, he's motivated by a desire to protect everybody from the danger. Whereas what do you see Lex's driving force? Why does he want to take out Superman? Yeah. So, you know, Bruce is trying to force the world to make sense. And even says that he mm-hmm. it, that's the lesson he learned. He's got to force the world to make sense. Superman doesn't make sense, you know, at all. He He's the outlier. He's the again. And he what's interesting is in many ways, he's the godlike being that doesn't that, that we can't put into our equations because we can't control. And in the end, it's the same thing with Lex. Lex can't 
comprehend that there would be a being who would have that much power and use it for good um, and be completely good. He, he, he can't come to the, and again, it comes down to his whole speech, you know, with, with what he talks about in the film about, um, he does not believe that an all powerful God can be all good and an all good God could be all powerful. Um, right. And, you know, therefore to him, he must make everybody see quote unquote God, the way he sees him, which is well, see, a farce. See, I, I saw something else. Um, and it's something that is there, I'm pretty sure, in the theatrical cut when he's talking to the senators in the beginning, where he talks about how his dad grew up in an Eastern Bloc country and he ate stale crackers and waved daisies at dictators every Sunday. And so I think that what's interesting about that is what I'm always um, intrigued by is I completely side with Lex in that reasoning. Sure. Like that, what I find interesting is just the fact that Lex and Bruce present reasonable, logical reactions to this thing in the sense that Bruce might be having an overreaction. Alfred is even saying to him at that one scene, don't you think you're, you're going a little overboard basically? And Bruce's response is if there's even a 1% chance Superman's going to go bad, we have to treat it as an absolute truth. Whereas Lex is, you know, I, I mean, who, who can't understand that perspective from Batman would be my question. He's seen what happens and he, he believes that he has to take some sort of action to um, protect everybody. And what, what I find interesting, and I want to get your thought on this, what I find interesting is it not that the basis for why he wants to put the Justice League together by the end of the film? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, obviously Lex has his father's example and again, I think that comes down to nobody saved his father. Nobody saved him from his father. And he's he doesn't believe that, that Superman would, would truly save him. Although, the most beautiful scene in the movie, I, and I would say one of the most beautiful, is when, you know, Lex thinks he has Doomsday under his control, right? And the first thing Doomsday does is go to punch him. And who stops that mm -hmm. fist from hitting him? Superman. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Not not because he, Lex deserves it. Lex deserves to get punched in the face really hard. <laughs> but, you mm -hmm. know, uh, Superman can't help himself, you know? So, um, and I think, you know, it, it's, um, I think it's interesting with, with the side on, on Bruce is, is that the beauty of what, happens in the film is that you have this and and, and I, I i'm utterly astounded to me that people can't seem to appreciate what zach does here but the way he's able to take the entire batman story here and and create this character in one film three hours but still you know one film and have him go through this arc of being a guy who completely hates this guy for reasons that don't have anything to do with Superman, really. 
You know, it's more about him not being able to control the world. Like Bruce is mad that he that that so many things are out of his control, right? And I think that's a such a human reaction to be able to see look what happens when we continually try to um put ourselves in control of things we can't be control of and to get to the end of the film and to have his humanity and heroism reawakened by a character he hated at the beginning was is a, is a great arc for a character and then of course it's the very thing that like you know he has this premonition that the world is going to need heroes that are beyond him he's just a dude like he and he just saw the reaction of like the one of the things i love about the fight at the very end is that it shows batman how useless he will be against gods now he might be the smartest man in the world next to lex luthor and and great detective but in the end he's going to need some other gods to help him defend this planet from what he thinks is coming and therefore again like there's just so much happening there's so much depth to it i'm just utterly astounded so many times when people just can't appreciate what's going on well to to provide a fair counterpoint don't you think that some of the failure to connect is because number one the theatrical cut I, i cannot emphasize enough when they cut it apart and put it back together it didn't it just didn't work in a lot of ways. And one of the, one of the things I want to address, like that there's, there's a lot here that, that you've hit on that I want to come around to and I, I don't want to bog it down, but I have, I always enjoyed the nightmare that he mm-hmm. has where you see the Omega signal. Uh, Omega signal means virtually nothing to me because it's been so long since I've read DC comics. I'm like, I know what it is, but and I know who Darkseid is and stuff like that, but, you know, it, it's not exactly like easy recall sort of thing, like, you know, that Wolverine's right. name is Logan or something, right? Make mine Marvel when I was growing up, for the most part. But I actually think that nightmare scene plays better still, even in this cut, if they cut out the Flash thing at the end, where he's saying, Bruce, she's the key, save Lois. Mm-hmm. That is a, a bridge too far. That was, and I remember even seeing that for the first time, if he had woken up from Superman killing him with his heat ray uh, after this big nightmarish future Earth, that would have been jarring. It would have been like, wow, I just don't think that the flash popping in comes across as anything, but we're going to put something in for the sequel in this moment. Yeah, and it actually would be two sequels away because the whole second justice league would been in the nightmare universe right so, so yeah it, so, I yeah mean, he, so I mean, it yeah, would have he's, he's definitely i mean he has a he's got a five-part arc and all this was meant to be together like basically lord of the rings like justice league one two, sure he would have been like your lord but, of the Rings. but my hope epic. and i know he's not going i know he's not going to make any edits to to the the the, the new imax release that they're doing sure but it, if I had my druthers, I wouldn't begrudge him a Lucas moment of just yeah, trimming a couple of frames right there sort of thing. <laughs> I think the scene just plays better. But at the end, don't you think that there's so much going on? There's so much happening. You've got Doomsday. you got Wonder Woman. you got Lex Luthor. you got Batman. you got Superman. you got all of this stuff layered up on top of itself. What do you say to the criticism that 
I had the first time I saw it, which was cut out Doomsday. Have Wonder Woman show up, bridge the gap between them, and then all three of them go out and, you know, Lex is in a super fortress or whatever, but they still manage to get in and jail him sort of thing. Or he takes off somewhere and they're like, we'll find him and we'll figure out. And then you find out that he's made connection with somebody setting up the sequel or something like that. I I think that it the I think the criticism is better labeled and lobbied against the theatrical cut um, because I think that when you cut out the scene of the fact that when they arrest Lex, he has kind of lost his mind and he's communing with, you know, uh, Steppenwolf, you know, there in the ship. Um, it does a much better job of of setting up then why. Uh, and even even this idea that Lex creating Doomsday is connected with dark side mm-hmm. and and i think again that it does all connect to sequels right but it also informs the story that we're that zach is telling in this film which is the redemption of batman and the uh reemergence of wonder woman in realizing that she truly is needed in this world again like who she is 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 somebody that is needed and and doomsday is the key to that happening whether you like it or not without doomsday it doesn't work for superman to die because there's nothing else that's going to kill superman on this planet really um especially when batman's not going to be the one to do it because that's not how that would end anyway um and it it it's the thing that is the linchpin for all of those things happening um for the cry to be heard that the the bell has been rung you know the the universe has heard that this planet is now ripe for the taking because its greatest hero is gone and um i think I, again i i think yes there is quite a bit going on but to me it just feels like many graphic novels that i've read so i don't really have an issue with it well, I mean, it can feel like a graphic novel, but that's not necessarily ne- the best way to, to tell a story like on film. I, like one thing I wish were clearer. And on this one, I think I got to a point where it makes a little more sense because at the funeral now, the way I interpret it is she asks Bruce, why do you think there's a threat? Right. And that's a flashback to him talking to Lex saying trouble's coming. Can't yes. unring the bell. Yep. I, but the thing is, I think it breaks up the, uh, the, the tempo, the, the rhythm of that part of the film so much that it should have been before the funeral happened. Okay. So that you would see that Batman had made the visit. Mm -hmm. And then later she says, why do you think you, maybe you have a flash or something like that, but we've seen already. And he just says, just a feeling. Yeah. And you know that like, he's just not telling her everything. Sure. Or it, sure. not in this moment sort of I, thing. Hey, I just think I, it breaks, you know, it breaks I, up the rhythm. I can understand, you know, because even in Man of Steel, remember, I, I there's an edit that I would make. Right. And, and it, it doesn't detract in for the overall whole of the film, but it's still something where I just would have chosen to do it a little bit differently for a specific reason. And so I, I think, yeah, that to me, actually, I kind of like what you're saying. So I, I can't, you know, I can't really knock it as, as, as anything that I, I wouldn't seriously consider as well. Now, I've taken a very ad, not 
not like belligerently adversarial, but I'm obviously playing devil's advocate with you here and sort of presenting some problems and, and, sure. and structural yeah. issues. I mean, you did the same thing um, the last time we talked, so. <laughs> yeah, I, the one thing, I, but to, to take a turn being positive, the one thing I want to say is, one, I think Amy Adams, it, it's unfair how she just gets glossed over and ignored. Oh, um, yes. Absolutely. Both in Man of Steel and in here. She is terrific. I really do. I think she's terrific. Again, she, I believe her, she's the first Lois Lane I've seen on screen where I truly believe she's an investigative yeah. reporter. I, and Not and, just because they told me she's an investigative yes, reporter, but because she exactly. really plays the role. Well, and that's um, one of the things yeah. that they cut out. And that's what makes it so good is that like she has a role in this film and like she not only is Amy Adams kick ass in the role and, and knock it out of the park, but she is doing the job which she's hired to do, even when people might not necessarily believe that she's doing the right thing, like Perry, or, or you know, uh, mm -hmm. maybe even, you know, Clark worrying about her, but still, you know, supporting her at the same time. But she's key to undercovering the plot of who is really behind all this. It's not Batman. It's not Superman. They're too wrapped up in the things that Lex has them playing games with. Lois is the key. Lois is the one who unravels all of this. And um, she's the one who, you know, I think uh, helps, you know, Clark to be able to to see that. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, it's you're absolutely right. One thing that I think there's also a processing error. Sorry, that just talking about Lois made me think of falling off the tower is I know that there's a cut scene where uh, Superman flies around town trying to listen for his mom and he's ignoring all of these problems that he's hearing because he's so focused on trying to save her. Um, I remember reading about it in, in an interview and it really popped out at me this time. I wish they had moved where they put the clock down to show Martha Kent how long she has left to live. Oh, right. Because when they walk in, they haven't started fighting yet and there's 35 minutes and Superman has just left and I'm thinking to myself, I know it didn't take him 25 minutes to fly over to Gotham right. from yeah, where he him. was in Metropolis. So it sort of jumps out at that moment. Oh, gosh, he yeah, there's something cut here. Whereas either just removing the clock, you don't need she doesn't need to know how much time she has left or putting it in a, a like as a way to cut up the fight sort mm -hmm. of thing would have worked better, I think. Yeah, but. Another person I want to sing the praises of is, and I thought he was great in the last film too, but uh, Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White is just a treasure. He's fantastic. I love just like he, he gets to indulge his sarcastic side. I, I love the, the moment where he's sitting there and Clark is pitching, going and investigating the Batman. And he says, crime wave in crime wave in Gotham, water wet, you know, like, he, because it's funny, he plays it great, and it also does some of that world building for us that the people in Metropolis are like, it's like San Francisco versus Oakland, where it's like, yeah, you know, Oakland's a little bit rougher than San Francisco, or at least it used to be, um, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I, I do give, I do give Lawrence Fishburne a lot of credit, uh, because I think he does a lot with his role, um, in, in this movie. Um, I wanted to ask you about the score 
Sure. Because one of the things that bothered me uh, when I saw it at first, and I think it was, I mean, Hans Zimmer always helps out people get into the industry. And he, he he's actually, he, I think he's a terrific artist because he elevates and assists people. Uh, and he brings in Junkie XL here, Tom Holkenberg. Do you think that this score is as good as the Man of Steel score? Or do you think that it has a ways to go? Because, you know, does some of the bombastic nature of this one overshadow some of the, the better music, like, uh, you know, the beautiful lie music from the dream sequence, which really is, it's a beautiful piece of yeah. music. Um, I, I mean, I like this score a lot and I listen to it quite a bit. So I think the, um, the score, has a a darkness to it that is intentional, you know, um, and I think works really well for the film. I mean, even the, you know, hard-edged kind of Batman theme we get, you know, is is just a man who is on the edge of breaking, you know, just completely breaking, you know, um, and just has so much bitterness and hate in his heart, and I love... That we don't shy away from that. I, I think it's it's really good. So for me personally, I I really loved it. But and I think it fits the film the way that it should. And it's not trying to be something that put it this way. It's not the score that we got for Justice League, where you know it just doesn't fit at all because it's Elfman doing what he wants to do, regardless of whatever film he's given. You know, this I think fits this film. Um, I think it um, has some really incredible moments. I love the music that is playing when, you know, we have the montage sequence of Superman doing all these things where he's saving people and the pundits are talking about him, you know. Uh, I think that's really beautiful music. I love the music when he saves the girl uh, from the uh, the fiery building and he comes down and, you know, everybody, it almost looks like he's mm-hmm. being worshipped. Uh, which is is an incredible scene. Uh, and of course, you know, I personally love Wonder Woman's theme. You know, I think there's such a there's such a wildness to that theme, which is really cool. Um, and um, so I'm I, and I know you don't really love the the whining cello. Yeah, um, I, so. I, 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 I was going to say that the the nicest thing that I can say about the Wonder Woman theme is I no longer despise it. I hated it in this movie. I really, sure. it, it, it basically felt like a cat was doing spinal surgery on me. Um, well, why do you don't but hate I've, it anymore? I, <laughs> now they used anesthesia. So at least it's not painful as painful. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I, I like yeah. the score a lot personally. And I, I it, so I'm really interested, of course, to see then what will happen once we, we get the four hour justice league score. So, well, I, you know, I, as, as much as I've had to come to peace with the Wonder Woman score, and it, it, it is, it's not nearly as bad as I originally said. I, I I'm sure I, there so is just something that's a been, little hyperbole may have been used back then. Probably so. Uh, no, and just now, I, I think that most likely, I, the more that I've thought about it through the years, I really think the sound mix in the movie theater was off. Mm. Something was wrong. 
Well, and because... I mean, gosh, I, you guys were just talking about that with Interstellar on House Lights with, you know, Tristan talking about the sound mix for that. Yeah. So, I mean, that can completely ruin a movie. Yeah, it really can. Uh, another bit that I want to get your take on is I understand marketing pretty well. Mm-hmm. I really think Wonder Woman suffers from what I would call Terminator 2 syndrome, where they gave away in the marketing leading up to Terminator 2 that Arnold was the good guy this time. Sure, yeah. And so the movie is still structured for a, for a reveal, an aha moment, whereas nobody walked into that movie thinking Arnold was the bad guy. So all of the tension was completely set on fire and thrown in the dumpster for the first right. 30 minutes of the movie. Do you think that the marketing caused the reaction to Wonder Woman to go a little sideways? Because everybody knew, because they're playing a mystery through it. Mm-hmm. Who is, oh, was she the white Portuguese? Is there something going on? Who is she really? When the whole time you're sitting there, you're saying, it's Wonder Woman. Right. It's Wonder right. Woman. Yeah, I can understand why that would be the case for some people, for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I, and you know me, like, um, I, you know, I watch trailers for movies. I don't watch any clips of films that I haven't seen. I don't do the extended work, you mm-hmm. know, I don't do, I don't want that. And so I almost think it would have been better for the movie to not have introduced the fact that Wonder Woman was going to be in it and just have it be a surprise as well as Doomsday. I think both of those things should have just been yes. surprises for the film because I think going in, um, both of those raise expectations for a viewer because of what the implications could mean possibly. And so I think just going in anytime going into a film, the less you know about it other than just like the basics is best, you know? And so I think you have enough of a hook with Batman v Superman than needing any and Lex Luthor being in the film you have enough material to work with marketing this film without bringing those two into it I will also acknowledge yes the first trailer for this was simply Bruce Wayne showing up at the party and him talking with Clark and it was great I was so stoked for the movie after that trailer I said, oh, I love the way this is playing. I love the way this is set up. And then when they got to the later ones and I saw, as I dubbed him, Nuclear Bizarro Doomsday Man, that poisoned the well for me. Because I I don't know how I would have reacted had I not known going in. But seeing it immediately soured me. Because I said, oh, I know how this is going to end now. Okay. Like, and it's not that I knew that Superman was going to die. I just knew it was going to be a big fight. And that how it was going to go. And I didn't really care for the design of Doomsday when I first saw it. So, you know, it was one of those things. Um, But near the end, and this is something that, again, jumped out at me this time. Because uh, I'll go ahead and spoil it. I did I did rewatch parts of this more than once to prepare for this, just so I had everything in my head. Um, I really struggle with when Diana gets the email from Bruce and says, you know, here's your picture. Who are you? 
And then she opens, like, that's enough. And then go to the fight. The fact that we detour and we open all of those files and watch all of these introduction videos, I think is just a massive mistake because it, again, like the Lex scene at the end, it completely breaks the rhythm of the film. And I think it's not as, you know, it's one of these things where all of a sudden we've gone down this rabbit hole and these guys are like, oh, right. Yeah. Batman's going to fight Superman. And it's like, oh, wait, what? Like it just. It really messes with the tempo of things. I, I yeah, I mean, I I've heard that before, and I guess it doesn't bother me because because I enjoy the scenes, and I don't feel like it takes that long. You know, I I haven't clocked how long it is, but you know, the longest one of those sequences is the cyborg one. Yes, and um, yeah, and that's really the point where it's a little bit too much for me. Yeah, um, um, but I you know. And I, I, you know, can you, is it just enough to have her, have had Bruce see, you know, the symbols and know they're coming and that those would be the ones you're mm-hmm. looking for? Is that enough? Yeah, maybe. So, um, it, you know, I, I think one of the things obviously we've talked about before is that, you know, Zach does what Zach wants to do, um, regardless of what other people think. And, you know, I think he, this is one of those places where he liked it and he wanted it in, you know, and, and so you can either like it or you don't like it, but, you know, for him, he, he felt it was important to have those, those, those little clips there uh, to give people a taste. And, and I think, I think also, as I'm kind of thinking about where things were at that point, you know, you're also giving people the opportunity to have a taste of the films that were going to be coming right at that point. We were going to be getting the Wonder Woman film. We were going to be getting an Aquaman film. We were going to be getting a Flash film. We were going to be getting a Cyborg film. So this was a way of introducing people to those characters before they saw them again uh, in, in, you know, uh, solo films, which, you know, is it the best choice? I don't know. I, I don't have a problem with it, but I, I mean, I can see where you're coming from. And so, uh, do you just, you know, leave it at the fact that make people go research, you know, <laughs> what the symbols mean if they don't know what they mean, uh, or not. So. Yeah. I, I'm just saying I would have done that. It's, it's too sure. much like the yeah. flash popping in at the end of the nightmare sequence where I say, well, and that was that's going just to sort be of a step a, too far. I, so, Zach will probably never get to do Justice Leagues two and three, but you know, uh, for the storyline, there they would. The way time travel was going to work was that uh, it was going to have to do with like where the Earth was and all that thing. So there were going to be two points that that Cyborg had calculated that Flash could go back. Uh, one was that point, and another was another point. And mm-hmm. Flash went back to that one first, and it was too soon. So it would have made sense later on. Uh, of course, we'll probably never get to see that. And and I, you know, I think your point stands in the sense that you know it it would make sense in the long run. But does it help this movie? You know, I don't. And I don't know. To me, it always it was always more interesting to have that aspect in there because it just raised really interesting questions i guess going forward and it never really hurt my enjoyment of the film see this is where i think this is 
what I think is very interesting, especially because I think Batman versus Superman suffers from being released so quickly after Civil War, uh, which had, you know, Spider-Man captures everybody's hearts in Civil War. Everybody loves Civil War. It's it is Civil War is just right. That is the peak of Marvel's. Sure. Uh, dominance. Yeah. Right. They haven't gotten tired for anybody yet. Uh, and the, nobody's really bored with the formula yet. Anything like that. But what's interesting is where I go back and forth with this. I still think it's a mistake to have those moments. But Marvel figured out the cheat code with those damned stingers. Because they have the exact marketing and planning for future stuff that Snyder is working into the flow of the film. And they're saying, oh, you know what? This would break it up. You know what? Toss in a stinger. And it's the stingers wouldn't work in the context of the greater movie. So they have the cheat code. They figured out how to game the system and have their marketing piece without breaking the flow. And I think what it is, yeah. is it, it stymies other franchises because you've got the choice to either mimic Marvel and have everybody say, Oh, you're just ripping off Marvel. Right. Or do something different and have everybody say, well, Marvel, Marvel figured it out. Why are you doing it this way? Right. So right. it's sort of like a rock and a hard place. Sort of. I still would have cut the moments. Sure. I mean, if, if I, if I were the editor with Zack Snyder, I would, those would be the arguments in the editing bay where I would cross my arms and I would say, I'll do what you ask me to do, but that's a dumb decision. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause there, there are many editor fights like that through history. Yeah. Um, you know, I, one of the things that um, I, I really think that is very interesting about the film is, you know, I, I, a lot of people still had problems with the Superman character in this film, which I always found really interesting because, you know, if we take the question of Man of Steel and we're just bringing it forward... I, I always thought it was really interesting, and a lot of people made contention that it was too soon for Superman to die. And yet, I felt like, you know, this film did a really good job of juxtaposing the people who love Superman and the hate Superman in this world, or or just don't know how to feel about him, which I think is is very legitimate way of portraying this. You know, uh, we've got the pundits talking, we've got the the scenes of him saving people and and everything. Uh, we've got the scenes of of Clark being you know, very proactive in his investigative reporting. Um, and we've got him dealing with, and, and my, f one of my favorite scenes in this entire film is the moment where Clark himself is wrestling with who he is in the sense of what, what he can do, what he can't do, what he's capable, what he's not capable of. And that moment where he saves the young girl, you know, and it's the day of the dead and all of these people are dressed up, you know, with, with the skeleton look. And in that moment, what does Clark see is he sees all the people he can't save in the faces of those people and, and that and, and, and it's a really beautiful moment because you realize, yes, people think he is this all powerful God who has no limits to his power. And yet he's just a dude who still has 
other responsibilities and he can't be at all places at, at one time. And so he does have to choose about who deserves to be saved and who doesn't in the sense of how can he even do it, you know? And so he's wrestling with these questions. And what I think is really beautiful about that is that we're finally wrestling with what it would really be like to be Clark Kent as Superman and to make these choices and how difficult it is for him. And especially in a more modern world where everybody is assigning political motivations when really he is just a guy trying to do the right thing. And that's not good enough for people anymore. Well, I mean, there there is a school of thought, and I, I've heard people voice it, that uh, Snyder gets poisoned, in a sense, from his time developing Watchmen. And that's why he approaches Superman this way. Is it sort of the Dr. Manhattan treatment, but a, a little bit a little bit different? Like, how does the all-powerful being deal with being all-powerful, and what does it do to them mentally? Uh, the scene, I think, that is played uh, well, and I think it, I thought it was played well even, you know, from from the first showing was when he's on the balcony of the hotel talking to Lois. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's played so restrained without a big blubbery, you know, her screaming Clark off the balcony or anything like that. And it, I I found it to be it's some interesting acting choices there. And um it, it it's one of those things where I wonder if it could be communicate like would it change anybody's minds to communicate to them that these actors are making these choices with Snyder for a reason or do you think there is any recourse like how would you sell to somebody that they should watch the if they I know why I watched the extended cut this time. It's for this show. How would you go about trying to talk somebody into watching the extended cut who absolutely hated this movie and has not revisited it since, what what was it, 2016 that it came out? So I would say, you know, this is a film to which truly explores the depth of what it means to be a superhero in all senses of the word. But but they've rejected that with their first viewing. They don't think that's a valid take. How are you going to get them to give it a shot again for 30 more minutes than they did the first time? Uh, I would say that the extra 30 minutes makes this film uh, a much better film, a more cohesive film, and a, a, a rich film, much more rich experience. Um, it adds to character motivation, uh, on all character fronts, um, from our, you know, I would say our main three characters from, uh, Lois, Clark, and, uh, Bruce. And mm-hmm. it accentuates every part of the story that you probably had an issue with. And if you still don't like it after that, I mean, there's nothing I can do for you, but I, I truly think this is the film that w- as it was meant to be. Uh, and the, if you, if you don't like that, then that, uh, then that's fine. But I think you need to judge the film based on what it was, what it was meant to be, and and not what was given at the beginning against the director's wishes. So that goes into other question: 
do you think the cardinal sin slash mistake of Warner Brothers is trying to compete with Civil War? Should they have waited to release this until the fall or until Christmas time? Uh, possibly, maybe. I, I, you know, I think the cardinal sin is just that they cut the movie up because they wanted it to be shorter and they wanted it to be in the Marvel mode. You know, I, I was watching a video uh, and it was like, why would you hire Zack Snyder to do Zack Snyder movie and not let him do a Zack Snyder movie? You know, like we we've been watching his films now. We know what to expect from Zack Snyder. Right. right. And so they they come in and and I think we were having a conversation uh, with a friend of ours. And you mentioned like this just becomes basically a peeing match, a pissing match between suits because, oh, well, we're not making as much money as they are and we need to. So we need to like, you know, do everything they need. And it, it's just like it's not about the artistic integrity of the film anymore. It's not even about the films. It's just about how do we make as much money as they're making? And that that doesn't make for great storytelling anyway. So, and this wasn't where I was going to go next, but I think something that gets overlooked here is that Christopher Nolan is a producer on this and, and his wife too, um, and Emma Thomas. And they support Zack Snyder doing his thing. Yep. Obviously. How could Christopher Nolan... Can, is there anything you think Christopher Nolan – do you think Christopher Nolan coming out and saying, I love what Zach is doing and that's why I'm producer on this? Do you think having him come out and, and throwing some of his reputation out there, do you think it would have helped this film if he came out beforehand? But obviously, since it was cut down to the two hours and 30 whatever, uh, obviously, I think Nolan didn't agree with that. Um based on what we know about how we reacted to the way they cut up Justice League. <laughs> yeah. Um, but do you think that there's a world where Christopher Nolan coming out and saying, hey, I, I'm, the, I'm the guy that hired him. I, I like what he's doing. Do you think that will cha- would have changed anybody's opinions about it? I, possibly. You know, would I, it have at least softened their criticisms? I mean, it could have. You know, um, I, I think... For him to come out and say something, you know, about, you know, him him liking the the, the, the direction that Zach is going and everything, I could, it, it's possible. And it, it's difficult for, I'm sure, him because at the same time he's got to think about his own relationship with the studio trying to get his own movies made. And, mm-hmm. and that's really tough. You know, the, the politics that goes on with all this is, is ridiculous and we, we know much of that. You know, from even that Vanity Fair, the article that's come out about the making of the this, the uh, Justice League and, and all the things that Zach did go through uh, behind the scenes. And, and much of that started with it, even BVS, you know, with them, you know, trying to cut the film down and everything. And I really do. I, I mean, again, I think it comes down to is not allowing it to be what it is, which is a completely different thing than than Marvel and um, just allowing that to stand on its own. Uh, and and I think you make a big mistake by not allowing that to happen. So let me ask you this question with regards to this. Is Snyder has continually worked with Warner Brothers. And 
Batman versus Superman, they chop up. Watchmen, they chop up. Uh, um, Sucker Punch, I, I mean, we go back. If anybody's tuning in for the first time, I have never seen the theatrical for that. I saw the director's cut and I gave it five stars. And I said, why would you have cut anything from this? That's insane. And, you know, you, you went through the list of how things were cut up and everything like that. Why is it that Zack Snyder gets so, uh, this is a very strong word to use, but it's the one that comes to mind. Why is it that Zack Snyder, number one, gets so abused by the studio system? And number two, why has he not gone off and worked with another studio at this point? Why does he stay with Warner Brothers? Wouldn't yeah. you at some point realize that this is a dysfunctional relationship and you need to go to like and say to Paramount, hey, guys, you haven't been doing much outside of Mission Impossible. Want to let me do something? Well, I mean, I guess that's why he's at Netflix because they're willing to hand touche. You know, I mean that they did the same thing with David Fincher. They had a pile of money, and he let him make Mank. You know, like talk about an- which I certainly hope that uh, Army of the Dead is is a more <laughs> memorable experience than Mank. So you know way. what I, I mean, like. I think he did. I think he learned his lesson. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, what Zach said about in that article about how he felt about Kalel, how he feels about Clark, and how dedicated he was to telling the story. He had a five movie arc to tell that story. This has really been in a massive Superman story. As much mm-hmm. as all these other characters are going to play into this, this was going to be a movie about Superman. And and all of them mm-hmm. were going to be about Superman uh, in one way or another. And so I think Zach was dedicated to that story. And I think part of that was that he was dedicated to it for the fans that had, had liked his Man of Steel. And, of course, you know, Batman v Superman just uh, – there was a massive divide of people who loved it and people who hated it and 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 – so, I mean, if Brian Johnson is any, uh, you know, measure of what we should like, you know, he's like, I would either like somebody to hate my movie or love my movie, you know, because at least they're having a reaction. So um, we, people had a reaction to Snyder and and literally people still argue about it online today. I mean, it's still in the cultural mind. zeitgeist. So, I mean, you've had a massive impact yeah. on and I think the studio and one of the reasons we are finally getting his his Justice League is because the studio realized that this was something that they basically could make money off of because there are enough people who care about this to want to see something like this. Well, I, I also think, well, I mean, it also gets people very aware of the HBO Max. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. App out there. It, it's good um, for which, business. Which, by the way, honestly, before Zack Snyder's Justice League uh, even comes out, I can tell you that HBO Max is actually a pretty fantastic service. I'm finding myself spending time And we're more not being sponsored it. by him, but it, I agree no. with you. Yeah. Although we would not turn down some of that sweet, sweet home BO cash. Yeah, seriously. Okay? So Send if, that over. <laughs> if you guys are listening, please, by all means. Um, yeah. But um, it, it just does sort of... Um, it's just a strange thing because... I think that – do you think that there's ever a point at which 
there's going to be a soul-searching reevaluation of Batman versus Superman because I was I, I like to say I was ahead of the curve because there were several years ago, and as soon as it happened, a ton of people started sending me the exact same link because somebody published the first of several articles to, that came out where they said, you know, Star Trek V isn't really as bad as we all beat up on it for. And I remember looking at that and saying, well, it took 30 years, but we got there, Bill Shatner. We got there. <laughs> Do you think at any point we're going to have something where, let's project, this came out in 2016. Do you think that in uh, 2036, people will look back and say, you know, they didn't give this movie a fair shake? Sure, watch the extended cut, but everybody was a little too harsh on it. Do you think we're going to hit a point like that in the future? I I absolutely do. I mean, it's already been happening. Um, I see articles pop up frequently. Uh, from all sorts of geek websites and stuff about a reevaluation of of this movie and 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 why it isn't as bad as people think and why it's actually way better than people think and I, but I also think that the biggest clarion call as to why that's the case is how many people love this film and have been defending it for a really long time. I think people are starting to come around to it. Um, I I've seen. Many more people have uh, on just online in the first place much more of a reaction to this film uh, in a more positive light than a negative light. And I think that that's because people are beginning to appreciate for what it is and not what they wanted. And... You know, when mm-hmm. it came to the conversation that we've had a little bit about, and previously with Man of Steel, the whole Marvel versus DC thing and the Marvel formula versus what they were doing, I think a lot of people have gone back now that Marvel has kind of peaked, you know, and, and they had their end game, and now people are going back, and the, and I think they're reevaluating uh, the validity of BVS, and especially with the Ultimate Edition, and I, I think its reputation is is done nothing but rise, um, you know. I and it has its staunch defenders out there, and not just you know uh, we were teasing about Sonny Bunch with uh, you know Sucker Punch, but he's a huge defender mm-hmm. of BVS as well, you know. Um, and and so are a lot of people out there. Um, and so uh, I definitely think it's it's one that is only going to continue to get better and better in people's estimation. And I would say this, the reason that is, is because I feel like the movie gets better and better every time I watch it. And I'm already somebody who likes mm-hmm. this movie. But I'm always well finding new little things, like the, 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 the part I was talking about at the beginning about Lex and, and Bruce b- being basically both uh, two sides of the same coin on their feelings about, you know, uh, Superman. Uh, and their reactions mm-hmm. to him and how it comes from parent issues. You know, I, you, they, they both have these interesting parent issues that which then causes them to kind of hate Superman, right? Uh, and so, uh, again, I just think this is a movie that has so much depth to it that you can continually get something new out of it every time you watch it. And to me, that's a great film. Well, the, the thing that, that I've been considering here is that I do want to read the last two paragraphs of my original review before we get to any final notes and observations. 
The final two, final two paragraphs that I logged all the way back in March of 2016 were, if you're reading this review and you haven't had a chance to see it yet, run, don't walk, away. There's nothing about this film that I would consider compelling enough for you to spend two and a half hours on it, much less money. But the amazing thing is, it's both the worst Batman and Superman movie I've seen in years. Superman 4 was worse, I guess. Now I have to rewatch that hot mess to be sure. Now, if anybody has never watched Superman 4, it's legendarily bad. Superman 4 is the gold standard of awful. So for me to invoke Superman 4 was specifically to have the hyperbolic insult uh, thrown out there. And we've gone over the things that that work and don't work um, and sort of like the positives and the negatives and the back and forth about everything. Now, that is where I was back in 2016. And I have watched the extended edition before. It was many years ago. I haven't revisited it since until now. Um, here at the end of this this big journey as we build up to... Uh, to his version of Justice League. And I do want to say that the extended cut does do a great deal to demonstrate why um, executives from movie studios should never be allowed to dictate cuts. <laughs> Ever. It's true. Simply and not for just the for fact. Snyder, for everyone. Oh, <laughs> for goodness sake. I could see maybe somebody like Alan Ladd who grew up in the business or like if Ron Howard were running a studio and he came in and be like, eh, I might cut this sort of thing. I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's Ron Howard, right? But for these business people to come in and start tossing these sorts of things out there, it's just, it's, th this is very much a, a thing. But I do have to ask one question before we get to uh, our final okay. thoughts yeah. or revised reviews or anything. We haven't talked yet about Martha. You're right. We haven't even talked about Martha yet. <laughs> I remember seeing it for the first time. And Superman said Martha and Batman reacted. And my initial reaction was like, oh, right. And then it sort of turned a little sour because everybody around me started snickering. And it, it is a moment where it sort of became poisonous there. There was venom about it. Where do you stand with it? Why does it work for you? Or why doesn't it? Is it something where you're like, is it something like the flash popping in where you're like, yeah, it doesn't really work, but I don't care. Or is it something where you look at it and you say, no, 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 dig it. I dig it. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I hate to quote Justice League, but as Aquaman says, I dig it. Um, I I always thought it was genius, you know, because we most people never really put together that they have the same name. I mean, even if you read comics, you didn't really think of it, right? And I think what makes it work is Ben Affleck's performance in that moment where he is he is a man who has been driven to almost murder somebody because he has to make the world make sense in the light of his parents' death. And he can't make it make sense because there was no sense to his parents' death. It was a senseless murder. You, you know what's funny is I actually, um, I think there's room in the way that that dream sequence plays, you know, when he's remembering his parents' death, that it almost plays like I could construct a headcanon thing where it was a hit. Sure. 
because of, you know, where I also think it's interesting that in Zack Snyder's universe, Thomas Wayne isn't passive during the entire thing. Yeah. He's fighting. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Yeah. But I will, uh, I will say that I think I, w- I want to offer to you, I should say, the idea that you say that moment works because of Affleck's performance. And I do think Affleck gives a, a terrific performance in this film. I, I, honestly, the, the people that I'm all calling out here is something I've been saying repeatedly as I've watched these films is Snyder gets great performances out of people. His actors care and they show up to work and they do good work. Do you think Batman should have done something like take off the helmet, the CG helmet, mm. and we see Bruce Wayne's face better? Do you think that scene plays better if we see more of Bruce Wayne's face? Um, I, I, I see how you could make that a choice and, and it could work. I think it could work great. But I think even just the way in which Ben Affleck moves his eyes in the scene is fantastic. Uh, I, I think everything is, is written on all the parts of his face that he he almost murders somebody. Mm-hmm. Just straight up with his own bare hands. Like he's never done – I get the feeling like ben, this Batman has never done that before, right? Um, He's about to cross the line that he probably said he would never cross. And in the sense that he would murder somebody with his own bare hands. Right. You know, and that's what he's about to do. Yeah. I, you know, the thing is, I, I also want to say that, um, you know, so long as we're, we're back at, at Batman sort of thing. And I know I said, Oh, here's what I said before, but I do want to address some of the more positive stuff because I remember something that a lot of people had problems with was the fact that Batman was branding people and they were being killed. And this extended cut does go to great lengths to point out let Luther's the one having them get killed. Sure. Batman just doesn't care. Right. Uh, which you can see when Alfred tosses the paper at him and it says yes. bat brand of justice. And he looks at us. We've always been criminals, Alfred. But something that I, I don't know if it's because, you know, I didn't care for it or I didn't pay attention. But I think it's clearer in this version that in the beginning, Batman brands a guy who's a human trafficker or yep. at least involved in human trafficking. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure I have a lot of sympathy for somebody like that. <laughs> if that makes sense. I, I mean, I'm not somebody who advocates murder or even the death penalty, but human trafficking is like, that's, uh, you know, on the scale of awful things you can do. That's one of the worst, you know? So, yeah. So, yeah, he branded him. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, it, the thing I think that, that works about, the Martha sequence, and to me, this is one of those places where the film has only gotten better with time in the sense that Bruce has othered Kal-El in Superman. He's made him an mm-hmm. other. Um, he, he, and, and therefore, he's been easily manipulated into turning him into the enemy. And the mm-hmm. moment it's the only thing that's going to get through to him. But the moment that he realizes he's about to kill somebody else's son, the fact that Clark, you know, that, that Kal-El has a parent on this planet just destroys the beautiful lie that he's created for himself, which is that he has to force the world to make sense. 
what's beautiful about the the way that this plays with Man of Steel is Man of Steel, um, you know, Martha tells Clark, you know, the 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 truth about you, Clark, the truth is beautiful. Who you mm-hmm. are and what you are and what you can do, it's all beautiful, right? What we get in this movie at the beginning is a beautiful lie that that Bruce has been telling himself this whole time is the lesson from his parents' death, which is that he has to force the world to make sense. Superman doesn't make sense in this world, therefore he probably just needs to die. And the moment that he comes to the humanity of this character, that there's any kind of humanity in this character, it rocks the very foundations to which he's built a lot of his life on. And I, I think to to laugh and to snicker at that moment is not an, an incredibly powerful moment in cinema to to have a character be able to process all that. And again, I think Baffleck's performance there, he literally is processing in that moment everything that he's believed about this character and how it just just the the realization that he this guy has a mother that reminds him of his own mother that he's about to do the exact same thing that somebody did to him years ago except the opposite he's about to take somebody's son not somebody's parent and i think well, all of that is incredible well i i think it's actually uh you know Something that appeals to the uh, the libertarian in me is the fact that when you really break it down, you have something very much that, that mirrors sort of the war on terror, where you have a traumatized person representing traumatized people witnessing a gigantic cataclysmic life-altering event, angry the world has been t- thrown topsy-turvy. It doesn't make sense. There's no processing it. And then you have the warmongering company manipulating government to give them the tools to wage war for the sake of war. You know, that's yep. Lex. And government more than happily plays into it. And then the angry, terrified person goes along for the ride. Yep. And then in that moment... Regardless of whether you, you know, like that it was Martha or something like that, that he says, it's it, it just to play to your point, even on a, a macro level instead of that intensely personal level, it's not every Kryptonian is bad. Not every other is bad. You can't paint. Was Zod bad? Yes. Were Zod's friends bad? Yes does not mean everybody from Krypton is bad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I, it's just, it's, it's one of those things. It's one of those things where I think that you cite Affleck's performance. I will actually cite Cavill in that scene because I believe him as his humanity in that moment of the the scared son he's just saying like he he's not even trying to save himself at that point he's still trying to save her saying we have to save martha right because he's tried talking to batman in the beginning and he's still trying to get help right in that moment well, and can I just you know, he point out, like, you know, so he, many people yeah. have made fun of the fact that he says Martha instead of, you have to save my mom. Like, 
Clark is an investigative reporter, too. He knows who Bruce Wayne's parents are. And I feel like that moment is when he says Martha specifically, because, yes, it's his mother's name, but it's also Bruce's mother's name. And by saying they're going, you have to save my mom, doesn't work the same way as you have to save Martha. And to me, I, to, yeah. that was one of those places where it's it's not explicit in the film, but it shows this character to be one who's well-informed, more so than we actually see most characters in, I think, s- superhero movies be, you know, as, as we've shown Lois to be. So to me, this really works. But again, that gets to, for me, the... Um the release strategy of Warner Brothers. And this is this is one of the things where if I was in their marketing department, I'd be jumping up and down. You're supposed to learn a lesson from Man of Steel. You release it hard on the heels of Avengers, which is the first billion-dollar comic book movie. And you see that people, it's too much of a gear shift. And that's like a year different. You're going to release this, which is so different from the Marvel formula, in the same month? Like, are you insane? Have you lost your mind? That That is, that's absolutely crazy. So, you know, I, I would, I still think had this been released in later in the summer, it's received, you, 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 you release it at the end of August and say, we're not going to make a billion, but we're going to do respectably and people are going to be far enough away from Marvel that we'll get better reviews. Right. And I, I, you know, I think that that's what makes this an interesting process in, in us doing is that we're removing ourselves from all of those things and trying to judge the film on its own merits, regardless of all the crap that's going on outside the film. Right. And, and so, you know, I think I would, I'm not trying to puff myself up, but I do think I go into every film on its own merit. You know, I judge every Marvel movie on its own merit. I, I Just because I liked previous Marvel movies doesn't mean I might like the next one. So, so for me, like, I, I'm trying to, to understand a film for what it, it's giving me regardless of, of what is going on out. Does that make sense? It, it does. I, I would state it another way that when you have a steady diet of something, regardless of what it is, hamburgers, right? And you always get this, you always go to five guys. If anybody doesn't live around a five guys, well, that's your loss. But everybody goes around five guys. And you go to five guys all the time. You get a milkshake, you get a burger, have a great time. And then you go and you're like, oh, five guys isn't available. All right, I'm going to go to Wendy's. And you get a Wendy's burger. And you're like, ugh. It's just not what you're used to, right? And so I don't think that it's... um even conscious on most people's parts. I think on some people's parts, they're just jerks and they enjoy for whatever reason, having something to hate. Um, but I think that the majority of people, it's just, it's just your taste buds can change. Your tastes are in the moment and it's just a mistake to try to have, you know, something, some, you know, chicken fingers when you're feeling like a hamburger sort of thing. So, you know, that's just where I think it is. Yeah, I I think that I can understand that. I think, um, you know, this this movie is. It's something that I think a lot of people just weren't ready for. 
And I will say this, I think part of that is that it's, it's a, it is much more challenging film than your same normal Marvel fare. Uh, and there mm-hmm. is a lot more going on in this movie than your normal Marvel fare at the time. And it is one you have to be paying attention to uh, and pick up the clues and all the little pieces that, you know, Zach's dropping here and there. And, you know, that I think in some ways, uh, audiences, like you said, they kind of saw, they, they be, they've gotten used to maybe being spoon fed a little bit too much. Um, and, you know, I, this is one of those places where it's like I could completely understand exactly what Zach was trying to do with the story. And it all made sense to me in the sense that I could fill in basically the the ex, the ultimate cut without it being there. But once it got there, it was like, yes, this is what this guy was trying to do this whole time. And this is, you know, so um, I, I, I do see that. I, I do think that that could be the case. And I think it is disappointing because, again regardless of why or how you know i do think zach is just ahead of the curve at this point you know he's ahead of the curve with with uh yeah. and i mean just look at where you know we've kind of gone with superhero things recently you know uh, amazon has the boys people are, love that show apparently i haven't seen it yet so uh you know uh hbo first season is first season is great of the boys second season goes a little too far okay uh, you know, HBO yeah. Max uh, or HBO and HBO Max did uh, the Watchmen show that, that again, super serious. People loved it. Right. You know, so um, and I, I think, um, you know, many people really responded to uh, the DC Universe shows that are now just all on HBO Max, like Titans and that kind of stuff. So there is a hunger for for people now, I think, that you you they've been having so much of one thing for so long, they're kind of ready for something else. And um, seeing sure. things from a different point of view, and this is where I think this film is really benefiting from from that. So, um, you know, I I'm sure there's probably many other things that we could talk about yeah. with this movie. Uh, honestly, um, I am glad you 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 brought up the Martha moment because I, I do think it's just a as it as it's played out. You know, I've really enjoyed that that scene more and more just because I think of the, the implications of what it says about our world now, even more so than before where you have this one guy who basically says, no, somebody has to be ultimately canceled <laughs> by killing him, you know, mm-hmm. because he's not, he, he shouldn't be allowed to live um, because I don't think he should be able to live. You know, I can't make sense of him. So he, he needs to die, you know, and like, what an incredibly mm-hmm. interesting, profound message for the world we live in. So, um, but that does bring me to uh, the ultimate question here, um, John. Maybe the ultimate edition question, which is, where do you come down on a rating for Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition this time? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm not even sure if I watched all of the ultimate edition previously because I don't have it lo- like, why do I have it logged in my original viewing from 2016, but I don't have the ultimate edition logged uh, on Letterboxd after that. doesn't make sense to me, but you know, whatever. Um, so I might not have watched the whole thing or if I did, I did, you know, who knows? Um, and I know wh- where are you at with it? What What was your rating with it? Uh, of Ultimate Edition, where do you stand oh, with it on, on Letterbox? I I mean, it's five. 
So it's a five. Oh, yeah. You have it as five uh, on Letterboxd. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, they don't have um, the ultimate edition on Letterboxd. You have to just rate the. I mean, they've they've never put the ultimate edition on Letterboxd. The only version you can rate right now is Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Uh, there isn't an see, ultimate. That's so. In- I know it's dumb. That- that's that's so interesting because the thing is there I think there are other ones and I always just say you know I'm watching the director's cut or sure. the, like I put that in the the preview up top so okay I mean that's interesting I mean the thing is this is just such a polarizing movie yeah I just I wish that it could be a little more cordial when it comes to those sorts of things but uh, this time I wound up with four stars for it so. You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. This is just, this is just a movie that benefits greatly from the extra footage. And I still think, just like Watchmen, I still think that there is an in between cut that there's like, sure, there's like five minutes that could come out of this one. Then it's just pops that much better. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, I, if you thought I was happy with John's rating of Man of Steel, it would be I would be lying <laughs> if I wouldn't say I'm on cloud nine right now. Uh because <laughs> well, there you where go. that's you, your birthday gift where for you this came, year. Where you came where well it'd be the it's the first time in a while. Anyway, um so Yeah, it's the first time that I've ever beat <laughs> gotten it to you beforehand. <laughs> Before it's true. So I mean, just knowing where you came from, uh, you know, I mean, I remember your review on, on a podcast you did and, and it was, I had to stop listening because I wanted to punch you so much. <laughs> uh, and that um, was, that was quite a review yeah. show. I know the one you're talking about. So, I mean, it is fantastic that, that <laughs> you've been able to move that far. And I, I think what it goes to prove is everything that we have been talking about throughout the show is that every time that the studio has stepped in to meddle with what Snyder is trying to do, it has been an ultimate detriment to the film. And the film has ultimately been better when just given Zack Snyder's control. And what I think is fascinating in this whole thing is that one, we've made a Zack Snyder fan out of you, actually. Um, Seems to be. And two, that what we see from Snyder here, and I think where we see the Snyder is, is that we can trust Zack Snyder. He has good instincts for making his films for the most part. He knows what should be there yeah. and what shouldn't be there. Like, you have a few quibbles here and there. You might, you know, whatever. But it's like... For you to be like at a place where you hated the whole doomsday thing and all that jazz and to come to a point where you know, oh yeah, no, this 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 four stars. Like that I think it just yeah. shows that you should just let this guy, like you would Nolan, just let him make his own movies and stop fussing mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I you know, I, I can agree with that. Uh I, I I will say in passing that the with the doomsday thing that there is something to be said about repetition uh that when you see it more than once it's sort of one of those things where like you can you know it's coming so you can sort of yep. process oh, it a little absolutely. bit better yep. but you know if it were truly a disastrously bad thing then there's no amelioration right. process so it's you know it's it, it it's sort of like you know you can at least uh, be less riled about your issues with it 
that, that might exist yeah. or something like that. So that's there I mean, you go. It's really cool. So uh, and of course, you know, you're going to ask me rankings, yeah, aren't you? I am. So damn it. Every time. I don't even remember what I did last time. I don't even remember. <laughs> what, do you, what do you rank them as? Give me a second okay. to think. Um, well, I, you know, I don't think it's any surprise for anyone that for me, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Ultimate Edition, yes, longest title in the world, uh, is my favorite Zack Snyder movie at this moment. Um, with Man of Steel right on its heels. Uh, I love both of those films very much. And, um, of course, as previously stated Watchmen and 300 right there together uh I'd probably put Watchmen above 300 but again it just depends on the day um after that it's Sucker Punch and Legend of the Guardians fighting out I'd probably put Sucker Punch above Legend of the Guardians if pressed but again like what we really are coming down to I think is that we have a lot of duologies with him where it's like it's so close you know with my feelings and then as we always say i think um a very respectable uh, uh last place with uh dawn of the dead which again had no expectation to like but ended up enjoying the film um it's just obviously the first film he did and i think you know it, if you were to put it in these terms it's the worst of his films which when it's at a three and a half not that bad that's true that's true. All right. So the the top tier doesn't change for me. 300 and Sucker Punch. 300 will always have the edge, I think. Just too many good memories. And, you know, that that's definitely a case where, uh, like, nostalgia bumps it up yeah. a bit. Um, but I could see Sucker Punch taking that top role at some point. The director's cut. The director's cut. Um, I think after that, we're going to wind up with Man of Steel. Um, and then Batman versus Superman, uh, Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition, soon to be IMAX. Let's just keep adding on to the title <laughs> after it. Um, Legend of the Guardians, uh, Watchmen, Dawn of the Dead. Nice. So, man, that's crazy. I, I think, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. It's really really interesting because I can tell you that. I mean, Batman versus Superman isn't alone. The The director's cut of Watchmen vastly improved my reaction to it. I At same complaint where I'm like, eh, I think some stuff could probably still be trimmed out of here. But like my reaction to the director's cut of Watchmen compared to how I came out of the theater is almost night and day. It's not as drastic as like Batman versus Superman, right. but good grief. Like, I like all of these movies. There's not a single one on here I hate, which is, I mean, I doubt I'm going to really revisit Dawn of the Dead too much because right. it's, I mean, it's a zombie movie, you know, okay. Yeah. But like, you know, there's not a single movie I dislike. Whereas Zack Snyder carries around this, this mark on his, his you know, his, his forehead of, of hatred and fire mm-hmm. that everybody throws at him. This is weird. So I have a, Great question then to ask you kind of as, as our next episode will be a, a massive uh, conversation about, uh, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League. We're doing a crossover with the 602 Club and our good friend Tristan Rodell is going to join us with that. Uh, what has been the thing that stood out to you then the most about Zack Snyder movies and, and what has 
been the thing to which he's won you over? What What is it about his films that has won you over, do you think that is? I know it's a really big question, but it's one I'm really interested in because, again, you came in more as the agnostic and or skeptic about Snyder, and continually mm-hmm. you have been surprised every time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm going to say that it's just... I. And it's really weird because one of my complaints about him over time has been that he doesn't connect emotionally. Um, that I said it really nastily one time where I said that, um, you know, he was, he was like somebody who understood emotion logically, you know, from a reasonable sense, but didn't connect on a real emotional level. But what I really found with these, you know, going through this is that's completely untrue. I think that he has a real gift for knowing when to hit that slow motion button to give you a moment to really soak in how epic he wants it to be. Um, I think he just has a, a really, he's one of the rare directors, I think, operating now where he's got such a visual style and of course all love to larry fong who works with him yeah this was great with them terrific cinematographer but i think that there is a you know it's you know you go to snow steam iron Mm -hmm. this is somebody who can work without dialogue i could turn the dialogue off on this movie and understand what's going on and i really respond well to any film like that where it's not incredibly dependent on dialogue. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things you call out, obviously, obviously is the visual style. And I think one of the, the hallmarks of, uh, for me, BVS, I, and I would say my favorite shot in the entire film is the one with Superman and uh, Doomsday and both using the heat vision. And that is the perfect splash page. I mean, you know, with no dialogue, mm-hmm. just this incredibly well-crafted splash page that is gorgeous to look at with the colors and the light and just everything about it is gorgeous, you know? Um, and he's so good at that as a director, you know, uh, creating those types of scenes. And, you know, it especially works, I think, with his superhero work here. Uh, worked so much with 300 and... Yeah, I'm I love it though. I'm and I'm really glad that this has been a journey for you, you know, when we decided to start it. You know, I had no idea how you'd feel uh, you know, as we move through the films and whether you'd like any of them more or less or whatever. But it it's just neat that um you know, you you've been won over because of the work itself you know like the work is what has has won you over it hasn't been any arguments that we've had or anything and you just allowed the work to speak for itself and like it's had an impact on you i have never in my life um been as surprised as this with uh in terms of revisiting or visiting Stuff where I was pretty sure I thought that this was going to be me primarily being a stick in the mud and having fun with you. Like I, I, I knew Batman versus Superman was coming and I would tease you about it. I was like, hey, hey you should see our text. It's going to be rough yeah. sailing coming. Yeah. I was like, don't get comfortable. 
I'm going to, I'm coming. I'm going to bring the pain, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I, I, I am, I'm glad that we did this. I really am because now I can tell you that as we wrap up this recording, I'm legitimately excited to see Justice League. I like, I was very interested to see Justice League, but now I'm, I'm legitimately like excited. I'm like, okay, I, I really want to see where this goes. Absolutely, man. Well, if anybody, of course, wants to catch up with you there in the social media realms, maybe, and, and talk to you more about your transformation from hater to lover, where can they find you? <laughs> uh, nobody wants to find me online. It's Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, you know, look for me on your social network of choice. I love to say that. Uh, I'm trying to be more active on Vero than anywhere else because it's just more pleasant uh letterboxed as we've mentioned several times and uh goodreads i have fun at those places you could also find me over on the nerd party um where i am uh one of the hosts on house lights where we examine the works of directors sort of sort of like we've done on snyder cuts here uh and i i co-host that with tristan riddell and also on the nerd party i am co-hosting a star wars podcast with you matt called aggressive negotiations and it's a different type of star wars podcast where we uh we we do a lot of fun deep dives on that one sort of the way we've done here on snyder cuts so yeah that's where they can find me where they can where can they find you yeah of course uh you can find me on social media under the name matt rushing zero two please uh you know if any of the social media platforms just search for that if i'm there you can find me please do follow me i'd appreciate it and uh of course um you can find me here on the network doing the orb as well as Literary Treks. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Of course, the main 602 Club show, which we're talking about all of the fandoms we love, and I uh, hope you will definitely check that out and enjoy that. I want to say a huge thank you to not only listeners of Snyder Cuts, but 602 Club. We, we had a banner month last year, literally the highest downloaded month we've ever had in like the seven years the show's existed. So incredible uh just response to snyder cuts and the 602 club so guys thank you so much uh for for checking us out we really do appreciate it uh of course you can find me over on the nerd party network not only doing uh aggressive negotiations but i'm doing owl post with drea kaufman as we talk about harry potter one chapter at a time but thank you so much for joining us this is snyder cuts snyder cuts